Hey folks, welcome into Onto Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Uh, we're going to talk some Cubs after the first week of uh, fake baseball. But I got to I gotta start. I mean, I know that I guess there's going to potentially be a video component of this, but like, I got to start with that hat, Sahadev. So I'm, I'm going to try for our listeners uh, who cannot see you. That is a slick looking hat. What is that? It's, it's like a, a skull with a like an old western hat on it. Yeah, yeah. They, you know how they did the minor league, the Copa de yes. Diversiones. This is the Las Vegas team, which is it, it translates to silver miners, I believe. Uh, and now I'm blanking, of course, on what yeah. what that is in Spanish. Uh, but got it. That's what that hat is. It's a yeah. It's a old miner hat on top of a skull that is that is it's like in the colors that like <laughs> silver and sky blue kind of yeah yeah oh it's a that's that's a dope quality hat thank you all right <laughs> uh and mooney your hat i think is also cool you're you're your your small size on my screen so i don't i'm not a hat guy so i don't have a hat on i just have my <laughs> beautifully well coiffed hair uh okay we can actually talk about some baseball now <laughs> uh all right so we're going to get into some of uh, a couple Cubs notes that, you know, everybody knows the big one in the outfield for the Cubs. We'll get to that. Bums me out, but we'll talk about it. I just wanted to hit at the top on the big national baseball discourse. Uh, we don't have to linger on it too much because I'm sure all the listeners have been experiencing it themselves for this week. But I just wanted to get uh, your guys' sense of the first week of the new rules. Um, I have some thoughts, but... Generally speaking, I'm curious, just your take, what you've been hearing, what you've been seeing, what what it has felt like to you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you know, so I was there for, uh, I left on Saturday, so right while the first game was going, but I, I quickly noticed it. it. It's hard not to notice it if you go to a game uh, in the sense that we cover so many games, there's so much dead time where in between pitches, you're talking to the person next to you or you're making notes or you're... Uh, looking on Twitter or whatever, you don't have as much time to do that. That's what I noticed as far as just doing my job. It's like, oh, I need to be staring at the field right now. Like there's no, there's no downtime here where uh, I can putz around or, uh, you know, talk smack to the writer next to me who made a terrible prediction or whatever it is, right? Uh, that, that playing around and stuff like that, that is so often typical of baseball, uh, is, is kind of gone or, or should be gone. I, I general, like my quick takeaway is that I like it. Uh, it's really cool to see a bunch of games that are 210, 220 all across uh, the game. Let's see if that carries over into the regular season. I think the shift rules I'm fine with. One, uh, I think of the quotes I got from players, you know, just talking about it, I think the one that stood out to me was Dansby Swanson saying, uh, his basic takeaway was like he's he's fine with it. He just wish they didn't have to make the rules in the first place. And I think his point is like I would you know some of these old school guys that just kind of want like that say like just hit the ball the other way. You then then you won't then they won't shift you type thing, right? It's it's hard to do that though, right? We've, we can go back and forth on that. So I think some of them would just love it if if you didn't have to legislate these things. But I and just talking to people on background, I think that's a lot of the sentiment like, man, I wish our game didn't have to be treated like this because I do like it how it was in the 80s or 90s or whatever. But 
you kind of have to legislate it and that's why you know when when they ask why does it all have to be done at once it's like well because just doing one or two of them doesn't impact the game enough so do it all and and it will impact the game and hopefully and i believe this by may or june we won't notice any of this stuff it'll just be how life is and it's just like the catcher's uh mound visit stuff where there was so much uh made of it in spring training and i i don't know if we cared by by opening day at all how quaint does that seem now right oh my god they can only go out to the mound five times how what how are they going to possibly i am never watching another baseball game again they're ruining the beautiful sport i mean to me, the rule changes were absolutely necessary. I mean, if you look at, you know, over the course of 162 and just how the product drags on, it was just so arrogant of Major League Baseball to think that so many people would want to invest, like, close to four hours when, like, half the teams in the game aren't even trying to win that year. So I'm totally on board with the changes. I'm not necessarily, like – uh laboring over it it's like this is what it is and you know to be honest you know you love when they were talking about these things it was great to go up to someone like john lester or something like that and get them to just rip the changes but now that's happened like there's no kind of going back and whether it was jed or ross or some of the pitchers like it's the idea is like they're changes for everyone like there's no sort of like you know uh the cubs aren't in like a unique situation here and i thought drew smiley the other day uh was as usual very insightful and honest and he was like honestly there are four or five times like the clock was at one i just lifted my leg and threw it like i don't even think tucker barnhart knew what i was throwing and he's like i feel like i'm a pretty fast pitcher and it really kind of spit up on me and he's been around for you know, such a long time and for him to say that and as someone who I do think works relatively quickly like is not the guy you would think of uh, when these you do not have him in mind when these rule ch- changes were made um, I thought that was time but they got what like a month here like they'll they'll figure it out yeah I think sorry Brett I just want to <laughs> I think what totally calls out the nonsense of what we were wasting our time with is the other day, maybe yesterday or two days ago, Carlos Correa kind of caught himself. He's like, oh, I got to get back in the box because he was just, he was going to walk around and do nothing for 30 <laughs> seconds. Like, that's what we were dealing with. And we, we were all like, oh, how are they going to do this? You know, so many people are wringing their hands about it. And it's like, maybe don't putz around for 30 seconds and just play baseball. Uh, so it's just really that simple to me. Like that, that just summed it all up to me. Seeing Carlos Curry is like, oh, oh, I can't, I can't dick around. Oh, awesome. Okay, better, better get in the box. <laughs> what are they taking away from us? <laughs> I want to see more pacing. Um, gosh, Nomar would be in serious trouble. In, in right, the, the that entire Red Sox team. <laughs> Theo and Jed. Um, Theo, Theo changes all the rules because he was like, "Oh, this won me two World Series in Boston." He's like, "I'm sick of this." Nonsense. I never should have had that team meeting where I told guys to adjust their gloves for 45 minutes. That was the efficiency that I never, I ne- never let anybody in on. That was the real secret. Um, yeah, I think you you guys nailed the incidentally almost the two things that I would have uh, brought up was I did like the Dansby Swanson quote that. He's essentially saying, I I like this version of baseball. I just wish we it didn't have to be the rules to make it the case. And I think that's probably true for most fans. I think we didn't 
you know, I'm not saying I'm the everyman fan, but like, I don't think I realized until this era where we've been talking through this stuff the last couple of years, I don't think I realized how much more enjoyable as a product 80s baseball was, you know, like I love dingers like, you know, that's not I'm not saying I would want that to go away. Strikeouts in a big moment are great, but, you know, balls in play to unshifted players where you have an internal sense of like what a hit looks like. Uh, what a great play is because like, oh, I know that ball is ticketed for the outfield. So if this second baseman makes that play, that's a tremendous play. Um, you know, Chase Strumpf had one up the middle yesterday. That was, it was, uh, you know, base hit up the middle, but he took it away without being crazy shifted up the middle. He just made a really nice play on it. And I, that is enjoyable. And the the pacing, I too was surprised that Drew Smiley had uh, a, a, couple times where he was rushed because he is if you look at his pacing numbers he's actually a relatively quick worker but what that reminds me is even the guys who on average are quick workers either on the mound or in the box they have outlier moments where they pace around and do these things that maybe it's necessary maybe it's not you get a timeout you get a disengagement you know you can there are there are things you can do and so I've been pretty pleased just just observing it as a baseball fan um, I care a little less about the length of games in total as a, you know, me personally, I don't care as much, but I think a lot of fans do. And so, uh, especially marginal fans, ones who are, the, the thing I think people get wrong about this is like, oh, you're changing all these rules. You're not going to just make a bunch of new fans because the games are short. Maybe, maybe not, but like fans aren't a monolith where they all see things exactly the same way. They're, they're, it's subtle. You know, there are folks who are like, yeah, I kind of like baseball. I'd probably may, maybe watch a little bit more if they were a little shorter or, you know, watch five games a year instead of one. Like, I, I think we're missing that the, that it's, that it's all incremental. And so uh, I've been, I've been pleased. Um, and I think I like what I've seen on a base running already, you know, too, which I know that's an even more subtle one with the bigger bases. I just, I feel like we've seen more attempts um, I haven't seen the data yet, but I do feel like we've seen more of that. And I, I dig that too. I like stolen bases. I miss that those went away. Um, okay. We can leave. <laughs> hey, Willie McGee was the shit. Okay. Like just slap that ball into the ground. Let it bounce on the turf. I d- listen, I will say this. I will say this. I miss the turf. Now, I get why they've had to get rid of it cuz it was just hell on players' bodies. So I'm I'm fine with it being gone. But like when you would see batted balls look like they were a a super ball, a bouncy ball just like bouncing around. That's pretty fun. That is pretty darn fun. And that is a, a little little part of the game we've lost. Uh, I don't know how to legislate that one back in cuz if you make the ball a little bouncier, we know that guys are hitting 600-foot homers and pitchers are bitching about it and uh so uh, I don't know. Uh, okay, we can leave rules stuff there for now. Uh, we'll come back to it as, you know, circumstances uh, dictate. But I agree with Mooney. I think, uh, or or maybe it was you, Sahadev, but June, July, I just don't think we're going to be talking about this stuff at all. I just think it's not going to come up. Um, okay, things we will be talking about by then, of course, are injuries because they cannot be legislated out of baseball as much as we may wish they could. And this is a fact of early spring training every year. There's at least one or two that you just, you couldn't have predicted in advance. Uh, And it just 
freaking sucks. Uh, but the one that the Cubs are dealing with right now is say a Suzuki tweaked his oblique. And uh, that's just a particularly dreaded injury because of the, it's a, it's a double whammy of one really hard to come back from until you're hundred percent because it's, it's super easy to re-injure because of the rotational nature of baseball. And uh, because you can't, play tentatively you know you can't be up there swinging tentatively to protect your oblique doesn't work you will suck so that sucks and uh, a moderate strain like suzuki's it takes a really long time to quiet down and so i know that he uh offered some optimism about wanting to be back for opening day unfortunately he had to skip the world baseball classic now which is its own version of suck but you know, there, he was holding open that optimism about maybe being back, playing 162 and all that. And I appreciated Jed Hoyer talking to, to you guys, Mooney, yesterday, basically being like, yeah, that that's probably not going to happen. Uh, we know I, He put it in the delicate way of like, it's a moderate oblique strain and we kind of know how, you know, guys don't. You don't come back in four weeks from that. So strong jeopardy was the term. Strong used. Je- yes, opening day I would say is a strong jeopardy. Um, so we know I, the part of that I want to talk to you guys about, and that I think our listeners would be most interested in is okay. So let's presume safely. I think that say is going to miss at least multiple weeks of the regular season, perhaps a month or more. In terms of he's got to ramp back up after it quiets down. What are the Cubs going to do in right field? What's the plan? What um, I, I wouldn't say that the Cubs didn't have redundancies in place for the outfield, but it's not quite the same. You know, if there was an injury to Nico Horner, for example, well, we, that's a pretty that's a smaller pool of guys that were like, well, then Nick Madrigal probably gets another run at it or whatever. In right field, because you know Alexander Canario is out with his injuries and surgeries that's not an option uh, because Brennan Davis is coming back from his lost year with the back I think that's unlikely um and so I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts I know someone said because I know you guys wrote and so and you would maybe it was David Ross that Trey Mancini might get the first look there I think it's interesting that he I mean, Trey, Man- Trey Mancini is the plan but he hasn't like, I think, why isn't he played yeah. in the outfield yet this spring I think that's weird. It was even after the injury. He's he's played multiple games at first after Saya's injury, not in the outfield. I think that's weird. I think it's suspicious. I, I'm I have, I'm circumspect about that. Actually, I'm, I don't know. I'm not actually that. But I okay. So let's. I think he's played thousands of innings in right field. No, he he really career, hasn't. Right? Not a ton. He's he's played a good bit in left field. Not a ton in right. Which I'm not saying they're fundamentally that different. And if he's got the arm, he's got the arm. I just like I said, I thought it was curious that despite there being other, it's not like you need him to play first base in spring training. You know, it's not like you're like, Oh, sorry, we can't move him off and we'll just throw him in right field on opening day. Um, I would have thought you would get him out there like immediately. Cause he needs to work with Cody Bellinger. You got to work on the communication. There's a million reasons why you want him out there ASAP. But didn't like when Hap was kind of going back and forth, didn't he used to like start in the infield and then work his way back out? Towards the outfield, yeah, it could Wasn't be the, sure. It could be there. I mean, I yeah, there yeah, could I mean, be reasons. It's, it's still on that side of the field. It could be, you know, who knows their yeah, individual I routines. But I, I was curious the extent to which we would see someone like Nelson Velasquez get at least eyes on him this spring. Of you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe you give him that look. You see how he looks in the WBC. You see how he looks right now out there because he 
is currently kind of on the roster bubble for opening day. But if Saya is out, and if that means you need to carry an extra outfielder, and that's probably going to be Velasquez, I don't know. He was he was the breakout guy in 2021. Before you know, he was Canario and Mervis before they were, and so, and I feel like we've, I don't know. I just feel I I didn't mean for this whole conversation to be me backdooring my way into being like, hey, let's talk about Nelson Velasquez. Um, but I do I do feel like it's I almost feel like it's become my duty to to elbow people a little bit and be like, don't forget, you know, he's he's not old. He crushed lefties in the big leagues last year. He did break out for a reason in 2021, and he was a rookie who barely spent any time in AAA. Like, of course, he had some ups and downs last year. I don't know. I just I don't I don't like forgetting about Nelly. I I'm, I mean Patrick has more information on this since he's out there. My uh, feeling on on specifically Velasquez and just how I understand Ross and how he likes to go about things. I think he he'd prefer someone a little bit more veteran in that spot. Uh, just it, it's not that he he doesn't like what Velasquez can bring. I think. There's concern there about uh, the little things uh, in the game, uh, whether it's at the plate or on defense, and uh, that 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 needs to be coached up a little bit more, and and there needs to be more seasoning in the minors. I think I, in an ideal world, Velasquez would be in in AAA for this team, uh, and and I'd and I'd say that about Morel too. I know a lot of mm-hmm. uh, Twitter people think like Morel is a lock for this team and maybe he ends up being that guy, but I think the the organization sees a lot of value in both those guys getting some more minor league seasoning where yeah, it's it, not it an kind insult. Of, it's not an insult yeah. on either of them. Yeah, I, I think last year it, it, and it speaks to the situation the organization was in last year at the major league level. There was just wasn't enough talent. Uh so when we talk about creating a floor, when we hammer that all off season, what I'm that's part of it. You want guys that you that you like, but we're kind of rushed to the big leagues in a sense because you just didn't have enough talent and they were the most talented ones to continue to grow in the minor leagues. If if Velasquez turns out to be the best choice, I don't think they're just going to say like force him to the minors, but there's guys like uh there's a veteran like Mike Taukman. Is it Taukman? Is that how it's pronounced? Uh, that that could make sense. Yeah, Mancini, I forgot about him. Yeah, he's getting Mancini he's getting a right lot of field. run. Taukman's getting a lot of run in right field right now. There's probably one other player that, that I'm missing that, that makes sense. <clears throat> Deluzio would be the other outfielder to make yeah. the roster at least. I'm not sure if there's anyone else that that uh, that Ross named or that you're hearing, Patrick. But I think. I would just. I would. I think say, Talkman's the guy. Yeah. Talkman's the guy yeah. to make the roster and to backfill, kind of. I mean, he's the one who, when Ross was asked about contingency plans, even before Saya's uh, testing results came in, it was Mancini, Wisdom, and Mike Talkman. And I remember we did our, you know, pre-spring training roster projection. Like Talkman, just on a gut feel, just kind of as we all follow this team for a long time, it's like, oh, had like a big half season for a big market team a couple of years ago. And then you hear that, you know, he's worked out with Justin Stone, the Cubs director of hitting for a long time. And, you know, he's a guy that they had kind of liked to bring in for depth for a couple 
years now. The, local, you know, which is kind of local sim- guy, right? Too local guy, and that's similar to Matt Duffy, you know, and he was the guy that no one was talking about in 2020, right? Uh, or 2021, 2020. I don't know. <laughs> but he was, you know, he was not on our radar, and then you know he kind of popped up and made the team, and it was a similar thing where like. You know, they're the baseball operation group had identified certain skill sets and certain opportunities that the player had not been given and how they thought maybe he could fit in a very specific role off the bench and why. And Talkman seems to be that. And, and I'm with you, Sahadev. I think I don't know if you I guess you need a backup center fielder. So maybe Morel or Velasquez makes it. But I think in an ideal world, they'd love to just load up their triple a team with some of that young talent and it could be an interesting mix there if you have like those prospects who are kind of on the ascent you have a lot of like kind of bullpen guys you can bring up you have guys with major league experience um so we'll see i mean look there's gonna be more injuries right like that was uh kind of the funny part of walking in sunday morning i got to our hotel Sunday at like one in the morning and I walked into the Cubs media room a little before 8 a.m. And it was like, say is out for testing and Justin Steele got scratched from his start. And so it was like, I inevitably had to write doom and gloom, which was not my plan. But sometimes the story, the story is the story, right? And you got to got to write that. At least for Justin Steele, he is as of this recording Friday morning, he is expected to to make his start this evening. Um, And. Uh, that that we you know pitcher stuff makes you nervous no matter what but like we at least have seen that a number of times where guys come in to spring training they start the sort of next step of their ramping up and they're like ah you know kind of feeling a little more tired than i would expect to so they pull back and ends up being fine so that that thankfully is not necessarily a reason for a ton of concern yet. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. It has been good so far. Um, I guess we didn't plan on talking in this, um, but, you know, Javier Assad looked fantastic. Hayden Wisniewski looked fantastic. Adrian Sampson got hit hard a couple times, but he, you know, we've had conversations about him a million times about his, his level of success and his velo was up a little bit. So I guess point there being, if the Cubs did end up having an issue in their starting rotation, you know, not every team has three seemingly very capable options competing for the fifth starter job in replacement of another guy who, when he gets healthy, Kyle Hendricks also may justify a rotation spot. So um, that is not to say I wouldn't be like, Oh, you know, doom and gloom if Steele had suffered an injury or if something happens to one of the other front guys but like it definitely feels better right now in terms of rotation depth than it's felt in most spring trainings where you're definitely hanging on every single report of like a guy you know oh he's gonna throw his bullpen tomorrow instead of today or you know whatever um it's that's that's been so far so good 
Yeah, and I mean the rotation can handle a blip here and there much more than than a injury to Suzuki. Like the right. Suzuki was being counted on as, oh, can this offense surprise? Yeah, if if Suzuki becomes a superstar, I mean, who's your now? Who do you point to, right? And that's not to say that uh, doom and gloom for Suzuki's season. You know, it, it's just gonna get off to you. Know, we don't know when it starts, right? And I think it's essential that they that they play this uh, in the you know cautiously. Uh, they tried to like uh, it was Nico that tried to come back quickly in 2021, right? And then had the setback, and it ended up being seven weeks uh, that he was out. He tried to come back after like four. I think he tried to come back after like three and a half. Re-injured it in the minor league rehab because he would yep. have been back after four. So. Like if if this is six weeks for say a Suzuki, even if it's eight weeks, which I, you know, I'm not on the ground there, so I don't, I haven't been talking to people. If it's eight weeks, that that feels like the max, right? That that feels like a pretty long time. Uh, you know, maybe this is worse. Maybe I, I don't want to put a, any number. I guess a cap on it. We do, but missing the first month is Sahad Sharma the, guarantees <laughs> say a Suzuki returns by the end of April. Uh, you know, missing a month of the season isn't terrible uh, uh, this is uh, here's here's our rosiest scenario if if cubs fans remember 2014 jake arietta missed the first month of the season i know everybody looks at 2015 as jake arietta's breakout but go look at his 2014 those five months uh if, if you get five months of comparable value from say suzuki on the offensive end there like to what jake arietta did i guarantee you cubs fans will be very very happy and then Suzuki wins the Cy Young next year. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think the best way to look at it is, I mean, Suzuki's totally off the radar right now, and the Cubs really don't know what they have in him. And I think that's why this injury really kind of stings. And Nico was very uh, insightful talking about it yesterday, of like how challenging that injury is and that you can't rush back from it. And he was saying... I believe they had it it was on different sides to where you know Nico maybe really felt it on the take and that Saya may feel it like if he was trying to get full extension and his point was like if you have a hamstring injury you could maybe like run to first base at 75% if if it's a routine ground ball or whatever like there are ways you can kind of maybe try and manage a little bit he's like you can't like ease up and hit a 98 mile an hour fastball and so Given the injury challenges Saya had last year and the fact that he's going through this trial and error process that Nico himself had gone through of getting maybe a little too big, we'll never know the exact connection, but like it would be irresponsible for the Cubs not to be asking these questions and trying to figure out what could maybe we do differently in the future. And yeah, we've been talking about this, you know, it feels like for months of like, who's the X factor in this lineup? It's Saya. And they have no idea when he's going to be back in there. Yeah, it. I don't know. It's easy to say now, but I'm pretty sure if you polled, uh, you know, folks like us and all fans, like, hey, who's the one guy the Cubs really can't lose this year if they're going to succeed off? If they're going to have a big year offensively, it probably would be Zaya, um, because of the necessary upside. Now, the baseline for him might be, you know, you might say Ian Happ also has. Uh, a, a good baseline for expected offensive performance, but I think the ceiling there on Suzuki is really considerable. Um, 
So that sucks. And it, it will, you know, the, the uh, Sahadev has his rosiest version. Here's my rosiest version for folks. It's that in the absence of Suzuki, someone emerges as surprisingly either better or more valuable or more ready than they would have been able to show. And maybe it's Talkman is like, oh, shit, he played in Korea last year and he sort of revamped something and now he's like a really quality bench player. That's possible. That's certainly possible. Maybe it's Nelson Velasquez gets run and they're like, oh, maybe he actually could start right now. Let's let's give him, let's, you know, roll the dice on upside. I, I understand the, the younger player uh, questions that you would have in development stuff. But if you're like really confident that say is going to be back in a month, eh, you know, see what happens. Um, something like that. And, um, and then of course there's that point, let's call it 0.1% chance that Brennan Davis is just so healthy and looking so good that they're like, you know what? F it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, I say 0.1 for a reason, folks. I, I don't, that's not going to happen, but, um, Okay, so we'll come back to uh, outfield stuff periodically you didn't, throughout. You didn't, uh, you didn't mention the scenario where Patrick Wisdom goes to right field, Nick Madrigal is the everyday third baseman, and the most hated man on Cubs Twitter becomes an all-star. How about that? He hits That's 340, fair. and you're all just like, well, I, I underestimated Nick Madrigal in his arm. Look at him yeah, throwing well, guys out. Hey, you know what? That's a fair point, actually, because that is another thing that I forgot that I wanted to mention is that so I, I am not a, like I, clearly I'm coming across as a Nick Madrigal hater because I'm getting a lot of like flames no. from people. <laughs> I, no, no, I not from you. I'm, I'm not. not saying, okay. no, 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 I know. I'm saying I am getting a lot of that. And I'm like, all I did was fairly question, I think, whether he was going to have the arm to play third base at the big league level, a position he's literally never played before and that his time at second base did not look like a guy who was going to have the arm for third base. I think it was very fair for me to wonder if that was going to be plausible so far. And I've, I've said this, he has looked unremarkable at third. And I mean that in a good way. I mean that in a complimentary way. Cause he was never going to look like he was never going to go to third and you're like, Holy shit. They got Nolan Arenado over there. All of a sudden that wasn't going to happen. The best case for Madrigal at third is that you just sort of don't notice. You're like, Oh, he's, Okay, he's acceptable over there. Um, and we're getting there. We're getting some some visuals and data points that maybe that's possible. But none of that is going to matter if he doesn't hit. It, it doesn't matter how whether he's passable at third, whether he hits or not. And so you, you actually make a fair point there, Sahadev, that this does sort of in a roundabout way, because it also could involve Mancini. You know, if Trey Mancini's playing right field, that means there's more opportunities for your right-handed bat, either at DH or first base. That might be Patrick Wisdom, and therefore third base opportunities open up for Madrigal. You're right. That actually is probably one of the rosier outcomes is that now Madrigal gets run, and he shows, hey, last year was completely about the health stuff. I can still hit just fine. And, you know, that gives the Cubs options in, in a month or two. So you're right. Good call. Um, okay. But just so we don't go crazy long yeah we got a little bit let's just let's mention the nico horner thing um david ross strongly suggesting and this has been the lineup so far when the regulars have played strongly suggesting that nico horner is going to be the leadoff man this year all else equal if everybody's healthy that's going to be the plan um i don't it's not shocking uh because the cubs don't have there is no prototypical leadoff hitter available to them right now and so whatever warts you might point to 
in Horner as a leadoff hitter, I think are pretty well circumnavigated by the fact that he's one of the better hitters on the team. He takes good at bats. He runs the bases well. Okay, fine. I mean, that, that was my reaction to it. It was kind of a why not thing of, you know, Cubs, coaches, executives, scouts, have loved Nico Horner for a long time, and some of it has nothing to do with numbers. It's his preparation, his mentality, um, his baseball IQ, and I think that's what Ross is kind of trusting here, of just someone who can uh, set set a tone, um, who has contact skills, has some speed, uh, some, uh, you know, just a, a willingness to do it. I mean, obviously Joe Madden once thought Kyle Schwarber was a leadoff hitter. I mean, we're in the same spot there. Like, and there are lots of good reasons for that. It, it didn't quite work out. I just think, and this may be where you're going with it, Sahadev, of just like, there, Nico's not a prototypical leadoff hitter, but like we could maybe count on one hand. How many guys are out there like that now? There are very, very few, and the Cubs have not had one uh, since Dexter Fowler, and this is just kind of the preliminary answer here like this may not work and we may be looking up in april and all of a sudden someone else is there but nico is going to have a really nice runway here to see if he could just take the job and and run with it my initial thing is as long as nico doesn't change who he is uh then then this is fine right because nico to be a prototypical leadoff guy nico would really have to change how he goes about business and i don't think that would be I, I wouldn't want to see that. I, I wouldn't I, I I think that'd be a bad outcome for the Cubs for him to start being more patient, you know, intentionally more patient, right? <clears throat> if this is if that's just who he ends up becoming, like a little more patient, yeah, I think you can take that. Like sure. Can Nico Horner walk more? Great. But I don't want I don't want it to take away from who he is as far as a low strikeout guy, high, high contact guy. Uh, that is starting to tap into a little bit more power and, and get the ball in the air more consistently. Uh, stay who you are. Uh, don't don't dramatically change because of the spot you are in the lineup. I, I think it just goes to show that, you know, yes, we talk about Dexter Fowler, but long-term, as far as more than just two years hanging around, the Cubs haven't had like a prototypical leadoff hitter in our lifetimes. <laughs> like not someone that sticks around for for more than a year or two. Uh, Kenny Lofton for half half a season and and uh, Dexter for two. Uh, and and the game it's just kind of dying. There the, that type of player is gone. Uh, you know McCullough, Andy McCullough, and Will Salmon wrote that article about the the plus defender in center field who's also a plus. Uh, offensive player that that guy really isn't around anymore Carlos Beltran is retired uh, there's there's just they're fewer and far between you don't see these guys anymore and I think for me what that tells me is uh, why do the Cubs why are the Cubs so happy that they have Pete Crow Armstrong because he is a very rare type of player in today's game is he there's so much talk about the lack of superstar in the Cubs system that's a that's fine I get that and I I'm part of <laughs> I'm someone that says that right I, they, they don't have that clear superstar but do they have someone nearly as valuable in Pete Crow Armstrong possibly I mean it, it, how many there's just not a lot of players that if he turns into what he can be uh, which is speed uh, a little bit of pop hits for average 
Uh, I guess he's not prototypical in the sense like he's probably not going to walk 10% of the time, but it's fine. He does everything else. As long as he turns into who we think he's going to be, uh, this guy will be leading off for the Cubs for a very long time. Uh, he, he turned himself from, I think, in the draft, people were like elite defender that probably hits at the bottom of the lineup to a guy that's like, oh, he's still that elite defender. And when and there are some people that put an 80 on him in center field, uh, that's that's insanely rare. And then if you're saying he's a, a 50 or 60 offensive caliber player, uh, now you're talking about an all-star and, you know, someone that two other teams may have, two or three other teams may have something comparable. Uh, so that's – I think it just highlights that we haven't talked a lot about leadoff because the Cubs haven't been relevant enough for us to care about how they structure their lineup. So, so now, I mean, remember it was a big talking point for all those years, as Patrick mentioned, Kyle Schwarber, and then like who's hitting leadoff after Dexter leaves, all that stuff. We just stopped talking about it the last few years. It just didn't matter anymore. It was like, how about just be competent and not be terrible on offense. And, and now that they're looking like they could compete again, it's a topic so I get – you just have to have someone there. But when Pete Crow Armstrong comes, I think that, it, you know, when he arrives for this team, I think that's going to be a a big boost as far as how David Ross doesn't have to overthink uh, the top of his lineup. He can really slot things in nicely. So his development and him becoming who everyone thinks he can be, I think it's going to just be a huge step for this team trying to kind of turn its corner from like, oh, yeah, we're trying to be a, a good team to – Oh wow! Look at look at how they can construct a lineup, and look at the types of rare talents they have on this team. I just want to say I hope none of the listeners noticed the Juan Pierre erasure in there um, <laughs> at the start of Todd's comments. You know, no, I'm just kidding. But it did, it did make me think about how. So everything you said about PCA is spot on, and about the nature of the game, and about that position. And I was thinking about Juan Pierre as you were talking, because <clears throat> you know, as you, you're talking, and I'm not. I was I was in my own world thinking, but I did think about how Juan Pierre, who by the time the Cubs acquired him, his skill set, his style, super high contact uh, on base that was entirely predicated on batting average and BAPIP and defense in center field, lefty bat, all that, you know, his skill set had already been become much less desirable by the time the Cubs had acquired him. And yet, if he's a player in the 80s, you know, not not only does he fit in very well and is, is very desirable, but I think his style probably plays better in the 80s than it did in the boom, booming era of the mid-2000s. And I kind of wonder, give us give it five plus years of this new style of baseball that they're trying, this new old style of baseball they're trying to recreate. I wonder if that type is going to be more desirable and therefore higher selected in teams to develop internally. Guys, uh, you know, when, when they're 15, 16, 17, and they kind of have different ways that they could style their game, you just wonder if maybe we're going to see a little bit more of that uh, going forward. And maybe we, when we, of course, are still podcasting in five, six, seven years, we look back and we say, you know, remember when we were talking about how they just didn't have any of those players anymore? And now the league is replete with them. And uh, everybody's got a prototypical slappy leadoff hitter that that gets on base and takes their walks and... um be interesting be interesting to follow because i because i that's that's maybe a good parting thought i I won't cut you off mooney if you got something to say but i think there'll be a lockout in five years that's right five years we won't be jesus well folks it's day 487 of the lockout yeah 
Um, no, uh, I was just going to say that um, I think that that's a part of the new rules and stuff that gets slept on a little bit too. Is like everybody focuses on how did it right. change today's game? How did this rule change today's game? That's a big part of it. Yes, I think we're going to see over time that there are cultural shifts and player yeah. development shifts, player development, and scouting, and scouting. Shifts yep, absolutely. That are going to change. Should, yeah, yeah. That are, that will evolve, and so I think um, that's a good question sleep. for front offices, and I, I, I'm sure Patrick and I will dig into that. Over, it doesn't need to be something that you touch on right away. Like I think it's something you keep tabs on over the year, mm-hmm. the next year or two. Like how much are you? contemplating these things in draft decisions in in player development decisions if it it, i I think that's a that's a very valuable thought there that you know we'll we'll see how how organizations can kind of shift their thinking based on the rules and and it's like how does that impact 2027 right Mm -hmm. there's been so many books that have come out lately that really make you think about player development and stuff like that and it's not it's not next year that's impacted it's four or five years down the road um, how all these implementations of new ways to develop players uh, it, when that takes place like how, if you're shifting the way what you want to get out of the player then how do you shift the way you train players as well uh, it, it's going to be interesting it, I mean there's been so much that's changed in the past decade with the player development so the rules changing could could impact that as well so that'll be fun that'll be interesting to see what the results are all right. Well, and when you do inevitably ask that of the front office, just make sure you say, as my very best friend in the whole wide world, <laughs> Brett Taylor, said to me recently. That's that's the preface you need. Uh, okay. All right, folks. <laughs> we thank you, as always, for listening. This is On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's the of Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Get theirs at The Athletic. We will be back at you next week to talk more spring training, more season prep, all that good stuff. And the World Baseball Classic will be rapidly approaching uh, by the time we next talk to you. Uh, and I think that'll be fun and interesting. A little less fun now that Say is not in it, but I'll, uh, I'll try to get over it by next week. Take care, folks. Be well and have a great weekend.